I'm very concerned that the Democrats are going to use this um, disastrous uh, riot mob as a Reichstag fire. And they're going to basically say that we need to now suppress and get rid of all these right-wing groups and hate speech and websites. That's what's going to happen. Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and we have today as our guest, the Honorable Kenneth Reed. Ken served 10 years as a council member and supervisor in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is just outside Washington, D.C., one of the fastest growing communities in the U.S. In addition to his time in public office, he's also the author of a must-have book for anyone who's thinking about running for a local election even more so for anyone who holds a local office. The book is entitled The Six Secrets to Winning Any Local Election and Navigating Elected Office Once You Win. You can find that book at kenreed.org, or you can also search that title, The Six Secrets to Winning Any Local Election and Navigating Elected Office Once You Win at any of your standard outlets, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, online. Uh, Ken, how are you today? Very good. Very good. Very good. Uh, Glad to hear it. And thank you so much for your time and your insight. I know um, that you're going to have some really good things to share with the listening audience. Um, So as we start up, you know, I I know a little bit about you, but our listeners don't. So can you tell us a little about yourself, how you got to uh, be where you are? Well, I um, got involved in, I'm I'm a journalist by training. Um, and I have a publishing business which covers the FDA and the pharmaceutical industry. So that was kind of my bread and butter. Um, I put my interest in politics on hold uh, for many years for journalistic ethics purposes. Uh, journalists used to have ethics, uh, not so much anymore. Um, unfortunately, with the way uh, partisan news works these days. And so in the late 90s, when I lived in Maryland, I got involved with um, transportation issues. And um, I sort of it ratcheted up when I moved to Virginia in t- 2002, and I got involved with transportation issues here. And then I ran in 2006 for town council. Then I went to the Board of Supervisors in 2011. Um, I opted only to stay a term, and then I went back to the town council. And then I had to resign a year into office because I moved to Hampton Roads, um, Norfolk, Virginia Beach area specifically. So I'm still involved with politics. I wrote the book when I got out of office starting around 2018. Um, and it, it was published last year by page publishing uh, in New York. And, um, I've uh, been trying to do training, 
uh, for, for a lot. It, it, the book is, uh, the book is really a two, it's really a two books in one. The first part is about getting elected to a local office, but the, the skills in there are applicable to any state or local office, uh, even some congressional campaigns. So it's, it's, it, it's all about essentially organizing a campaign and doing things in an iterative way. The second part is about navigating local office, and that is peculiar to municipal or county um, offices only, because that's where I served. Um, I did not serve in the state legislatures or in Congress or anything like that, but it still deals with a lot about how to uh, get things done in office and how to survive in office and how not to get um, into a rut. So that's really where it is, and I, I like to, and I'm going to be teaching uh, some facets of this next week. The subject will be at the Leadership Institute. They have a future candidate school. I think registration is still available, li.org. And people can go for a three-day Zoom class and learn about uh, developing skills as a candidate for all levels of office. And I'm going to be talking about how to get involved in the community in order to get name recognition. Excellent, excellent stuff. I just ordered your book. I'm super excited for um, when it gets shipped here. Um, but even more than the book, there are a ton of resources on on Ken's website. Um, and you know, this book is very modestly priced, and the amount of freebies that you get, uh, things like consultation and campaign analysis. Um, things that were made by Ken, who's who's one office, and you know, most people don't like to toot their own horn so much. I'm going to read um, an endorsement that Ken has from uh, former Virginia Governor uh, Bob McDonald, um, who also held several um, political offices in the state of Virginia. But I, I think that Ken's not going to give himself as much credit as he deserves. So it's, it says here, um, Governor McDonald saying, Ken Reed has extraordinary skills in retail politics, winning four times in a competitive purple district. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Loudoun County is one of the northernmost counties in Virginia. It's just to the west of DC. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just to the west of DC. Um, a lot of people calling it a firm blue county and and ken's success is a testament that it is it is uh, a purple area uh, going on with governor mcdonald's quote he served with passion in local office and made tough decisions to solve real problems in his book he imparts practical knowledge of campaigning and serving in public office with a key focus on getting results um you know, I actually had the honor when I was serving in the Virginia Army National Guard of twice meeting with Governor McDonald and one actually speaking to him for about 10 minutes. Um, he certainly seemed like a straight shooter and an honest guy. And this is this is some high praise. Um, can you tell us retail politics? Can you tell us um, a little bit about that? Retail politics or retail campaigning is essentially um, um, door knocking voter contact. It's really getting into the weeds where you're talking directly with voters. Um, all too many people who run for office, I think that they are they have a lot of ego. They um, watch Fox News. They they look at conservative media, or if they're liberals, they watch the other media. 
and they think that they can just throw their hat in the ring and everyone's going to come to their feet and say, you're great, you're wonderful, I'm going to vote for you. And then the next thing you know, they're going to be um, talking heads on Fox News or MSNBC. They're going to be another Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Josh Hawley or uh, Matt Gates. And uh, that's not really how it works for most people. Uh, most folks that run for office are involved in their communities. They see something wrong. Something wrong happened to them. And so what they do is they throw their hat in the ring. And some of them are involved with PTA or with their church or synagogue. In my case, I was active in my synagogue here in Leesburg. And uh, they are... Um, you know, they, they run, but they still don't know what to do. And one of the things that they don't know what to do is how to talk to voters and how to talk to donors. And that's kind of like what retail politics is, is that you can't just win a campaign through, you know, on an air attack, you know, on air broadcasting, social media. You have to actually go to the voter's house and get into their space and ask them for their vote or you have to reach them on the phone, which is very difficult these days with the way, um, um, with the caller ID, or you have to text them. Um, social, and you have to use Zoom as well. Zoom is now a major way of reaching people. Um, so the book goes into extensive detail on, on how to reach voters and how to reach donors for money, because money and manpower are two of the key ingredients to winning an election, regardless of what election it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like some of these skills are definitely transferable from local election to even state or national. Um, but it sounds like the linchpin here, and generally my audience is for, um, I'm, I'm very humbled and excited that I do have some card-carrying Democrats or um, people that would say they're liberal who listen, and thank you guys so much. Um, my, my general audience is conservative. Um, I initially pitched the show as, you know, navigating conservatism, having or navigating difficult relationships with colleagues or family or friends and how to um, live out that conservatism. But here in this context, obviously someone who's running for office is out of the conservative closet. Um, but it sounds like the linchpin here is the Internet is not something um, that is the main driver of campaigning. You know, myself, I just spent the last two weeks making phone calls for um, Heather Mitchell, who is running in Virginia's second district. And um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to door knock just because of the distance. Uh, but if I could have, I would have. And, you know, in your experience, it sounds like you're saying that we need to move away from the keyboard. And yes, email marketing is a thing, and there are firms who do that. There's a wonderful one here in Northern Virginia, just in Ashburn. Um, but FaceTime, public speaking, storytelling, and you had mentioned a cause, having a specific cause that you can speak on are keys to getting elected. And then following through on those, those uh, points that you made while you were running once you're in office. Well, the book, if you read it, and it's only $25 now, and I think it's like $14 for Kindle, essentially says that there are six M's, six secrets, and I'll reveal those now. And they all begin with the letter M, messaging, management, 
money, manpower, marketing, and momentum. And the chapters are broken out that way. And the, the goal is for candidates to discipline themselves and to sort of formulate a campaign from the get-go, from the exploratory stage to figure out what the office is, um, what the hours are, you know, who the stakeholders are, what the issues are, um, what are the requirements to actually throwing in your hat in the ring, registering as a candidate, and then coming up with a message or a bunch of messages that are going to get people to vote for you because most voters do not spend a lot of time figuring out candidates. They will vote based on party affiliation, first and foremost. Um, the number of independent voters is dwindling. Um, so it all depends on the office that you're running for. Um, but you cannot run a campaign as if you, just by watching conservative radio, just by watching conservative television and talk radio and think that, you know, it's just all about parades and rallies and, um, t you know, TV commercials and things like that. It's much more involved than that. Um, it involves candidates being able to raise money, get volunteers, um, come up with, you know, do direct mail, because direct mail is still important, radio, TV if need be, and of course, social media, texting. Um, but you have to be able to manage all this together. You know, that's where the other M comes in. And then momentum is sort of the end of the campaign where you have to get out the vote. Um, you can't have one, you have to have all six M's in motion to win, all six. Um, I kid you not. Um, I have never lost an election but um, for, for elected office, but I lost one last year for the Republican Party of Virginia State Central Committee and I did not do knock and drag. I did not pick up the phone at the last day and get people to the polls to vote for me. And I lost very narrowly. So it was, it was also, I was a new time, new first time person. So I don't know if that answers your question, but um, candidates have to be prepared to do things outside of their comfort zone. There are some people who are introverts. They really do not like interacting with people a lot. That's going to be a problem for you if you're an introvert. Um, if you are sens sensitive to criticism, and scorn and negativity, that's gonna be a problem for you too. But um, the book is for everybody and I'm glad you mentioned Democrats. The book is written, even though I'm a Republican, it's written in a nonpartisan way because local government, even though people run as Democrats and Republicans are doing things that really cross party lines. They're, they have to get the trash picked up. They have to uh, um, make, they have to make budgets. They can't do continuing resolutions. They have to fund the schools, the police, and you have to put aside partisanship to get things done. Plus you're working usually in a small governing body, unless you're in a big city where you might have, you know, a council that might have 30, 40 members. So um, local government is very different, but that's the serving part of the book. The most important thing is to get involved in your communities and get elected. Book helps great, you. great insight. Um, and those those M's are very interesting. I'm I'm really interested in reading this book as soon as it comes in. Um, thinking thinking about messaging and manpower, and I, I don't know how directly 
applicable this is. I'm, I'm pivoting to a different topic here. Um, but something in the way when you started out explaining the M's reminded me, you know, I have my opinions about petition, about assembly, about uh, peaceful protest. And, um, you know, for those of you listening, this episode is released a little bit later, but it's it's Friday, January 8th right now, two days after um, uh, pretty much unprecedented events at our nation's capital. Um, so I, I feel like it would be uh, disingenuous of me not to to kind of ask you if you have any, any thoughts on that I situation. Do. I do. I basically feel that um, the Trump uh, campaign, uh, look, I was a day one Trump supporter. I met him in April of 2015 um, when I was on the board of supervisors. I met his son, Eric Trump. Um, I've always, I always liked Trump when I was, when I lived in the New York area, he was um, a business leader. Um, I liked the show The Apprentice. Um, I saw the way he engaged with people at the event where I was at. And when he announced for office, I said, I'm going to support him. And um, despite, you know, a lot of the outrageous and incendiary and polarizing things that he said as a candidate, I still felt he had the strongest message. And he was bringing a lot of new people into the political process. I noticed that that there were people coming to my organizing meetings in Loudoun back in 2016 who had not even voted in years. Um, so Trump brought a lot of newbies into the process. But the problem is he and the Republican National Committee and the local units never marshaled their energy toward doing retail politics and being getting practically involved. Um, they went to rallies. They would do these Trump tillas, like these boat things. They'd go out with their boats with flags. They'd do sign waves. Bikers for Trump. They would do these motorcades. Of course, social media. Um, and they just idolized the guy. And that's why the liberals think that we that he created a cult. But of all those people who came to Washington to protest, it was all for naught. It was a disaster. Um, and Trump, unfortunately, pushed that um, steal the election thing just way too far. He just did. And we now have a situation where his legacy could be tarnished forever. And a lot of people are going to go to jail. Um, I actually wrote an article on the bullelephant.com, which is a Republican blog, Tuesday or Monday, saying that people shouldn't go to the rally. They should do what you do and help Heather Mitchell and House of Delegates, and I was helping Sylvia Bryant down in Norfolk. I was helping her campaign. That's where the energies have to be expended. Um, in Georgia, um, lots of people did go down to Georgia, lots of conservatives, a lot of Republican, Democratic activists. But um, the thing that always killed me during the 2020 campaign was my inability to get people to do door knocking, to make phone calls. They were so afraid to talk to voters. They were afraid of rejection. They were afraid of being castigated. And I told them, you know, that's not going to happen. And through all these MAGA meetups and all these things that the campaign did to get people at these rallies, they never once asked them to get out there and, and, and work for them and do, do the significant stuff. I think that one of the biggest failings was not having these people watch the processing of the absentee ballot applications when they were being processed. Um, they had people working inside polls and key precincts, but that's not where the voting was. So 
we have to get a, the conservatives are, are unfortunately a lot of Trumpsters and conservatives want to wave the flag. They don't want to fight for the flag and the flag has to be fought for putting on my conservative hat. Now I'm very concerned that the Democrats are going to use this um, disastrous uh, riot mob as a Reichstag fire. And they're going to basically say that we need to now suppress and get rid of all these right-wing groups and hate speech and websites. That's what's going to happen now. Um, I can get into that a little bit later, but um, I urge people to get involved in a practical, pragmatic way in political campaigns and not just show up in buffalo outfits and strange hats to get on TV, um, to do something practical for these campaigns, and especially to run and be involved in in local, state, and uh, county uh, commissions, boards, and commissions. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, a lot of people have been asking me about. Um, I, I spent a number of years in the military, um, and just a couple in law enforcement in, in Virginia. And very often people ask me about use of force situations, about fights and escalations that are online. It's, it's sometimes it's just hugely annoying, um, almost as if I'm made to answer for other people's actions. And seeing everything that unfolded, I've gotten so many questions from family, from friends, from uh, former and current colleagues um, on every side of every issue uh, where these people stand uh, who are asking me about use of force, about political violence. Um, and I'll say, you know, being a conservative, it's important that we're intellectually consistent, intellectually honest. Mm -hmm. um, something that we, we say, um, you know, all people on every side of the aisle are guilty of it, self-defeating arguments and things of that such. You know, I've heard strong, hard right uh, conservatives make arguments that are fundamentally anti-Second Amendment arguments, you know, uh, not being able to defend property or livelihood. Um, but the violence, the way that it was unfolding is absolutely inexcusable. And, you know, George Washington, Jefferson, whoever, whatever founding father you want to pick, that's not even what they did. That would be a mischaracterization of the American Revolution. They aired their grievances and they gave who was an actual oppressor, not a made-up oppressor, um, a chance for for redress or for recourse, rather. They that, did, yes. That's not what occurred. And I'm not saying to a listener, hey, write the government a letter declaring your your secession or your independence from the government or turn into a sovereign citizen. But this is so far a departure from normalcy. Lots of senators saying that this is an embarrassment. Uh, Lindsey Graham wrote that this is an embarrassment, something that has not occurred since 1812 when there were real problems. And I agree. This is absolutely embarrassing. Well, the, the country has been polarized since the 20. 2000 election. That's really the beginning of the red-blue divide. It was building up a little bit before that with the uh, efforts to impeach Clinton, um, things like that. Um, there's just there's a number of things that we're building through several years, but 
you know, the rise of the internet and social media, 24-hour networks that each take partisan jabs and the, and the, the profitability of these networks and these blogs, not blo like the Huffington Post or Slate or Breitbart, and the consultants who feed off of this. Basically, we have a whole industry in this country that's uh, living off of division. You see, I wrote this in the Bull Elephant just yesterday that we have zealotry and fanaticism and we have uh, vigilanteism because people have lost faith in the institutions because members of Congress in particular just can't make decisions. They go on television, they talk, but they don't talk to each other to make decisions. And the only time they can make a decision is they have their gu a gun to their backs, as with the fiscal cliff back in 2000 and I think it was 2010 or 2014, and the, uh, the, uh, the stimulus package, you know? So we can't solve immigration, we can't solve gun issues, we can't solve um, violent crime issues, we can't solve any of these things because everybody's posturing. And so these people yesterday, because they were so whipped up in a frenzy by Trump and Lou Dobbs on TV and Sidney Powell and Giuliani, to think that the election was completely rigged and stolen. There was just no way in hell that Joe Biden could have gotten all these votes. Um, it just became a, you know, the myth became reality. And so people decided to barge into Congress to try to do something destructive. So now let's face it, over the summer, some 19 people died and some 14,000 were arrested in all these riots that were fomented by left-wing groups like Black Lives Matter and Antifa throughout the country. But the optics of seeing the Capitol breached and seeing people shot and killed or dying of medical problems, now a Capitol Police officer, is going to resonate for years and years and years. So I have to ask the people who attended that rally, is it really worth it to keep arguing to, that Donald Trump got robbed when there has to be, when I think there needs to be a more thorough investigation? Or do you want to move on and try to do something to elect your people into Congress? Well, what's happening is a lot of these Trumpsters think that Republicans are, are garbage. Uh, I don't know if you got this when you were calling for Heather Mitchell, but myself and another volunteer encountered a number of Republican voters who told us that they were not going to vote in Sylvia Bryant's election in the 90th district because they don't want to vote because they don't want to vote for the Republicans. Did you get that? Did you get people who said they weren't going to vote because they were fed up with how the Republican Party treated Trump? Um, I, I think I got more, I'm not going to vote because, you know, feelings of hopelessness right. um, and things of that line. But I've certainly heard yeah. that that there's a lot of dissension among the party. There are a yeah. lot of constituents yeah. that are fed up. With yeah. What, yeah, what happened was was that you had this, this, these people like Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell are out there trying to advance themselves, saying, don't vote. Well, how many of those people you think not didn't, were fed up in Georgia who didn't vote, and now we have a Democrat Senate? So you see, that's the problem, is that all too many conservatives and activists, they want to win arguments, they don't want to win elections. They want to fight the fight on Facebook. They want to show the flag. They say they, they read the Constitution. They say they support the Constitution. 
but they don't want to bother to look at how elections are handled, the processing of elections. Uh, there's a very good op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today by Dan Crenshaw saying that Trump and a lot of the Republican leaders, he didn't name, I don't think he identified it by name, essentially conned millions of people to think that the election was stolen. And there's no evidence, there was no evidence that the courts could could get fixated on to say that. And, the, and you know, until there's a thorough investigation, we're not going to know. But again, the Trump campaign and the Republican National Committee botched this by not having people watch the various legislatures that are Republican legislatures essentially abdicated their responsibility to Democrat governors to change election rules to allow this liberalized voting. Like in Virginia, we had early voting in mid-September. It's unheard of in Virginia. Um, you know, to make it easier for people to submit absentee ballot applications. So, you know, this, the, the, you know, Giuliani and these others are very good at spinning this, and it was very good to raise money for Trump's campaign and maybe lead a resistance of sorts so he could be relevant. But this thing that happened on the Capitol the other other day, the small minority of people who stormed with, with, and did what they did have just ruined Trump's legacy. They've ruined it. He, he is, they, they, they're, they're, they're now people calling for him to resign and just get out of there because they think he's unhinged. So the bottom line is this, is that you know, people who are engaged in politics have to get away from talk radio. They have to get away from the TV networks and the internet, and they have to be involved in their communities. They have to find out how election, they have to get out there, knock doors, talk to voters, call them, you know, go around and put up signs. You know, there's a lot of things that people can do that are constructive. That's the key word is constructive. And by all means, one of the things they should do is volunteer to be serving on various municipal boards and commissions. That's what they should be doing so they can get involved with seeing how government works. A lot of conservatives don't know how government works. They think it's evil. They don't want to be a part of it. Well, you know, if you're going to sit it out and you're going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, you want to be a spoiled sport or whatever you want to be and you want to um, um, make a protest, you know, a, a you know, state of mind protest and do all this stuff, well, you're just going to let the Democrats take over the country. That's what you're going to do. And Democrats who are in Republican areas, if they're going to be defeatist about this, they're going to let Republicans take over in their areas. Two part, the two-party system is what benefits our country. Every representative democracy in this world has multiple political parties. It's only the dictatorships and the poor countries that have one-party rule. A man who put a gun to the belly of a pregnant woman, that's the person in a black community that's treated like a hero. And as, as a person of color, it makes me want to puke because it, can we have a one black person that's, you know, Truly a decent person, not not George Floyd, not this guy in, in, in Atlanta that was attacking the police, not this, this character in Wisconsin who was violating a restraining order um, because he had, he had abused his girlfriend. And these are the, the black men that are put forward by the media as being these, these victims, these martyrs. And I go, the role models, and they're terrible people. <laughs> are, are we not better than that? 
Is there, is there not somebody better than them that we could we could look up to and treat with respect? Laugh. The responsible people that should have been speaking up to say, let's not let this get out of hand. Let's let let's let justice take its course. Where was the out outpouring of those people from the church, from the government, from everywhere? Where were those people? Why did they let that take uh, be taken over by the media and Black Lives Matter? Criminal profiler Pat Brown and business owner Dave Brown join us on The Joe Mobley Show to discuss racial issues, the political landscape, and much, much more. Pat and Dave's book, Black and White, How the Left is Destroying the Dream of Martin Luther King Jr. and Our Founding Fathers is available for pre-order now and releases Tuesday, February 2nd. This is a must-have book, and their interview is a must-listen episode that airs February 8th. Mark your calendars now so you don't miss out. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. There, on both sides of the aisle, there's a fundamental misunderstanding, um, or frankly, ignorance, especially for people that hold office, about the function of government, about political philosophy, the purpose of government. Um, and uh, I, I had Dr. Steve Bucci uh, with the Heritage Institute on the show earlier, and Heritage he Foundation. was expressing, or I'm sorry, the Heritage Foundation, thank you. He expressed the same sentiment you did. A two-party system is actually good. Um, no, no one's advocating, you know. But what's, no... happening, but what's happening now, um, Joe, is that I see people, I have a, a Facebook page, it's called Trump 2020 Elite Team. There's about 4,000 people on there. And I see people talking about forming the Patriot Party. They want to form a third party. Well, third parties have traditionally been abject failures in this country. The Green Party and the Libertarian Parties are two examples of parties that have the longest longevity, I think, of any third parties that I can think of. And they've never been able to elect candidates other than maybe at the local level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're spoilers. People argue that uh, the Federalist Party was usurped or taken over by what is now the Republican Party. But that's not true. The Republican Party was not a third party. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was more of a a formal transition from one thing to another, which is very nuanced, the difference between what we'd say a Republican is and a Federalist of, mm-hmm. of old. Um, yeah, you, you nailed it. A lot of it is it's, it's our responsibility to actually get educated, um, to actually know what the history is, know what the Constitution is. Conservatism is the countervailing force to tyranny. If conservatives are concerned about um, a censorship on Facebook, if they're concerned about being tagged as racists and bigots and being have the force to be taking um, um, white fragility diversity training, which is basically almost like re-education camps in the Soviet Union to some degree when you think about it, if they're concerned about, you know, efforts to root out websites and stuff like that, then they need to be getting involved with government and campaigns. They can't just say, I'm going to just put my, you know, get all my guns and I'm going to fire at people when they come to my house. That's too late. You're too late then. You're too late. I mean, conservatives have to be involved in the process. If they want that, you, you, you know, the problem I find is that a lot of conservatives, they don't like government. They, and so they don't want to be tainted by being on a board or a commission or something like that. Well, you know, one of the things that conservatives do by running 
is to prevent government from doing certain things. I did that when I was a county supervisor. I did that when I was on the town council. You know, we were able to we were able to basically prevent government from doing things. That's a good thing. It's not just all to pass things and spend more money, which is what unfortunately both parties do. So that's the problem we have here in this country, Joe, is I think we have people who need to take a lesson in political science and in journalism to understand how the media is playing them. And it is essentially fomenting this rage on both in, on, on, in both camps, the red and the blue. Yeah, my, book a, goes into, my book goes into extensive things on how to work with the press, by the way. It's a real interesting situation we have um, where there's this dichotomy. And this is coming up again. Again, that article is entitled, Is Zealotry in America Here to Stay? Um, that's an article that Ken wrote for the bullelephant.com. That now there's this dichotomy between, on one side, it seems like on one side of the party, there's zealotry, there's fanaticism, and on the other, there's actually oppression of the vote towards our own candidates from our own leaders. Uh, Sidney Powell's been accused of this, Lynn Wood. Um, there's a group of people that have you know, some reasonable arguments that Donald Trump has, has oppressed the vote uh, in this Georgia runoff. Um, so what, what do you think... What do you think needs to happen with the party, and what do you think needs to happen uh, with the nation in the years well, moving forward? Well, what I said, well, what I was hoping was, and I actually emailed Eric Trump to say this back in December, that your your dad needs to concede and hold his fire, work with Biden on a transition, and then come back and try to stay relevant to keep make sure that the Republican Party and the government maintains his agenda. I mean, you know, the, I mean, it's nice to have a honeymoon, and I believe there should be, but I'm sorry, but Donald Trump didn't get a honeymoon. He didn't get a honeymoon. He was, they were trying to impeach him from the get-go. Now, of course, liberals will say that he, he stirred the pot, and he poked his finger in people's eyes, and he came across like a dictator. And back in 2017, there were millions of people on the left who were frightened to death about what was going to happen. And this fear led to this resistance, and plus Hillary Clinton's sour grapes. So I don't say, you know, a MAGA red hat resistance, like a pink hat resistance, may have been a good idea. But now, but because Trump pushed this thing to the max and tried to get members of Congress to overturn the electoral vote, and then you had this frenzy, that crowd storming the Capitol when they were only supposed to march to the Capitol is just going to poison his ability to be involved in politics forever, for a very, very long time. Now, we'll see what the Democrats do once they get into office. But, you know, we're not going to see much done in Congress. There's going to be gridlock. Um, it's the executive branch with the executive orders where Biden's going to rule. I don't know if, the, did that, I don't know if that answered your question, but, but what I think needs to be done from the leadership standpoint is, is that I think the Republican leaders have to get together and come up with a statement of principles, but try to keep these people engaged. Because there's all these people in this database, millions of them, who went to Trump rallies and ordered signs and all this stuff, and they just need to be galvanized around specific issues like, you know, a Supreme Court nominee or 
legislation that the Democrats want to get passed. I mean, this is how the process works. But to just spend your time posting on Facebook and waving the flag and going to rallies and putting up pictures of Trump as Jesus or as God, which some people do, um, is just ridiculous. It makes you feel good for the moment, but it's not going to have lasting results. So people on both sides are saying everything from our nation's on a dangerous footing, you know, to things aren't that bad, to everything's just fine. What, what do you think the state of the union is right now and potentially moving forward? Well, you know, I've been involved with politics for 22, 23 years in Maryland and Virginia. I've been involved with journalism since 1980. Uh, a kid through the late 60s, early 70s, which are part, they thought Watergate was going to destroy us, Vietnam. And we're not destroyed at all because we have a very strong economy. The thing that's going to be a problem is if um, these dictatorial governors and mayors don't get some of that power out of their hands for this pandemic, and we don't get our economy back fully moving, and we're going to be dependent upon politicians, that's what's going to be the problem, because the media is going to be compliant with what the liberal Democrats want, because they're liberal. They're glad Trump's gone. They've always been compliant. They've always been easier on Democrats than Republicans. But, um, you know, there are systemic things that we as a party have failed to do. The Republicans have, first of all, failed to, uh, to uh, take a good – get a grip on the demographic shifts in this country. Um, there are people in the Republican Party who still hate Muslims. They don't want Muslims here, and Muslim people know that. There are people who really don't like Latinos, and they say, well, we don't like – we just want them legal here. No, there are people out there who don't like Latinos. <clears throat> so therefore, I remember asking a Spanish voter at a rally in 2014, <clears throat> I asked her, would you vote for Barbara Comstock for Congress? She was our Congress member in this area. And she said in a very thick accent, no, because she doesn't like Latinos. <coughs> Where did she get that idea from? So <coughs> the Democrats just have to play all those sound bites, and they can get gobs of people of color to not vote for Republicans. And then the second thing that we've done that's been a failure, excuse me, is the failure to get our hands on academia. And the left were tilted in the universities. We have generations of people, my kids' generation and previous, who essentially have bought into this whole thing about white privilege and uh, all this trigger warning stuff and whatnot. And we have failed to address the higher education system. And that's why I think Betsy DeVos was a failure as our education secretary. She focused, her expertise was charter schools. But Bush and Reagan didn't address it either. 
But academia, the universities, are a fifth column in this country. There's no balance anymore, and people are wasting their money on a lot of majors. And a lot of these, if you read books, you'll see that, you know, you'll, you'll, I mean, I'm not saying anything that isn't new. And so that is now seeping into the mainstream of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party essentially believes that Joe Biden said it yesterday. You heard him in his speech, which was very divisive. He said, my daughter, my granddaughter said that they had loads of police on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial when Black Lives Matter was protesting, but they let these people break through the Capitol. That's a false analogy right there. But they're trying to imply that the Capitol Hill police would have killed black people if they were storming the Capitol. That's what they're implying. And if you look at what the police have done this summer, if anything, they were hands off. But this is the this is the mentality that we have, thanks to left wing academia in this country. So if conservatives are not going to get involved, and they're just going to complain by calling in to talk radio, or watch Fox News and then post it on Facebook, that's not going to convince anybody. The sad reality is, Joe, is that. And I see it in Virginia, the Republican Party, at least in terms of the activists, are mostly older white people. Really, they're mostly older mm-hmm. white people. And <clears throat> you know, at some point, my generation will be gone, and we'll be left with a lot of young people who essentially um, were indoctrinated by the universities and the public schools to believe that the liberal way is the only way. So... That's why conservatives maybe are, are frustrated, and they think that with liberal voting rules and with opening the borders that we are going to soon become <clears throat> very much like, if not a socialist dictatorship, we will become a um, European um, socialized system like Germany or France or, 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 the, or the Scandinavia. I mean, people in the Democratic Party and the left who want that. They advocate for that. They say that we would be a much better nation that way. Well, <clears throat> if we were, then you would kiss innovation goodbye. Uh, I can get into that in a long chapter in detail, but that's really not the subject of this uh, conversation. <laughs> that's, you know, that's an excellent area, and it's an area that I have a lot of interest and, and opinions in. And, you know, we we will push that off to part two. We're coming up on the 45-minute mark. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you the last question. It's the same for every guest. Um, so apart from prescriptive religious texts, talking the official book of faith for any particular religion, uh, apart from those books, if you could get everyone on earth to read and understand one book, what would you choose and why? The Torah. <laughs> Isn't that a good answer from a Jew? <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people pick. Um, I, I've had a lot of what I call extra biblical um, answers. So a lot of C.S. Lewis or. I have been or, doing Torah study now consistently for about four or five years. And I can tell you right now, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good, um, interesting stuff about political leadership and, and in the Bible especially in the, uh, the the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, and some of the later books too. 
I mean, there's just a lot in there. There's just a lot in there about political leadership and about dealing with different situations. And uh, but you have to study, and you have to look at the commentary, and you have to read all the. You can't just read the Bible. The Bible's a difficult book to read on its own. You have to read the. You have to read the interpretive uh, commentary and so forth. But but that's very important. But of course, I think my book is a great book to read if you want to run for local office. So I'll promote it again. Go to kenreed.org. <laughs> buy the book you know go to amazon and it's only 25 bucks and you'll learn something sorry no that's just fine i i'm actually surprised this is an early um an early time in the day for one of my interviews and my kids are, are behaving impeccably I, I as you know i have three small children uh, and i haven't heard a peep and i have a yappy dog as well i mean i have a uh, Yorkie, and he yeah. is rambunctious. But I have, um, I have two. I'm I'm in a place with two yappy dogs, and the phones keep ringing. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, Ken did an excellent job um, squeezing in what you really wanted to get in into that answer. A lot of people have done that. Um, uh, Dr. Bucci did that, uh, but with the Torah, for those of you who don't know, um, has a couple of different meanings from teaching or the law of the law. Um, and you know, when I was at Liberty, um, there, there was certainly a lot of, uh, importance cast upon the Pentateuch, which is that first five books of the Hebrew Bible. Um, but from what I'm understanding uh, of the Jewish faith, they, they refer to that as the Torah. Um, so it's, you, you did an excellent job of saying, well, not, not the Holy Bible, but you still got in what you want people to read and understand. Well, you know, I mean, you know, the, uh, the you know, the, you know, if you're a Christian, I think you have to read, you know, the, you know, the King James version or whatever version people like, and the, but you still have to read the commentary and find out what's going on there. If you want to look at it, there are a lot of books that have been written, I'm sure, about political leadership in the Bible. Um, um, there's a rabbi, Soloveitchik, who's doing a 10-part zoom thing starting on the 25th of january where he's talking about the bible and political leadership and so forth and there's a lot in there and i wish i knew about it when i was serving in elected office i probably would have done a better job actually i would have been less frustrated about losing and i was into winning too and that's part of the other problem with our society is everybody wants to win and just keep power and they're not looking at getting results done. But results doesn't mean expanding government. It could mean keeping government from doing certain things. That's where conservatives fit into the, to the picture. They fit in the picture by keeping government limited as possible. Trump's deregulation has been wonderful, wonderful for our economy. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. deregulation, and when we deregulated in Leesburg, you haven't lived here long. Downtown Leesburg was a ghost town. It's now a very vibrant town. It's partly because of the deregulation we did back in 2010 and 11. So here in America and, and arguably in other countries, um, it's been said that there is a formula for success, a formula to ensure that you won't live in poverty and, and that you can essentially be successful and have a meaningful life and and a lot of different people say it different ways, but essentially, um, you graduate high school, whether that's diploma or GED, you get a job and you work and you save and you develop yourself. Um, get married before you have kids, don't have kids out of wedlock. You do those things 
and you will be successful. Well, that's basic instruction. That's basic morality and ethics and, um, and work ethic. And that's what you get if you read and study the Torah. Um, you know, this stuff isn't new. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, how things came to be, why things work the way they work, but just basic wisdom for life. So great, great recommendation. I'm all for it. Um, also, you know, uh, Ken's book, again, you can get it. We're going to hit it three, maybe four times. You can get that book at kenread.org, or you can search on Google. You can search Walmart, Barnes & Noble, so wherever you get your books. The Six Secrets to Winning Any Local Election with the subtitle and navigating elected office once you win. Um, I've ordered mine. I, I agree that this is a must read uh, for those that are looking to run for office, for those that hold um, elected office. And I would say uh, local elected office or even a state or federal office, get the book, um, go on the Ken's website. He's got some resources there where you can contact him um, I see one here, which looks pretty fun. I'm going to do it. Uh, but take a picture of yourself with the book and email it to leesburgreed at, this is, this at's a little long here, leesburgreed at fdainfo.com. Yes. FDA and, is my, that's my business. And also, if you buy the book, you get um, all the Google Drive of all my campaign materials. So it saves you hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands on having to design guard signs, bomb guards, and campaign materials, plus other things. Awesome. Well, listeners, thanks for hanging in. It's a 50-minute interview, not our longest, but I, I love that you hung in. If you haven't subscribed or rated the show, subscribe, um, like, and you know, give us a five-star rating, even if you give us a four-star rating or below. Uh, one through four, definitely give me some notes. Give me um, some insight into why not a five star. Uh, and I definitely, I see those comments and those thoughts. Um, Mr. Ken Reed, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Joe. Shabbat shalom. <laughs> Shabbat shalom. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.